What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Hello, everyone. Today's guests are a father and daughter dynamic duo. He is an architectural and interior design industry leader. She is a recent Cornell Hotel School grad. His company's projects have been published in Hospitality Design, Metropolis, Interior Design, and have been cited in the New York Times. She was basically born into our industry. He is the author of an architect's cookbook, A Culinary Journey Through Design. They also co-authored a book called Max the Mighty Mushroom. He's president and owner at Glenn and Company, Glenn Coben, and she is his daughter starting her career journey, Maya Coben. Hey, welcome guys. Hey Dan, good morning. So just so everyone knows, this is the first time, and just so you know, this is the first time I've interviewed two people at once, but I do think um, as hospitality, there's so many stories of, of families being drawn to this world that we're in. And I thought it would be interesting to explore with you guys. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for, for uh, having us on your podcast. Uh, congratulations on the, uh, the launch of it. And, uh, you know, from what I've listened to thus far, it's great. And it's really cool how you've connected, uh, a lot of people in the industry that are disparate, sort of, uh, very, very different voices, yet we're all connected through that topic of, or that notion or that, that idea of hospitality. So thank you for having me on and for having Maya on as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad to have both of you. So what we, what we normally do is we'll start with the question, how do you define hospitality? And I think what I'll do is I'll ask uh, Maya first. Maya, how do you, def so your dad doesn't influence you. How do you, def how do you define hospitality after he's as a recent graduate? He's influenced me my whole life and you won't let him do it now? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, pulling you out of the batter's box. I'm asking you. Yeah, no, no, no helicopter, no helicopter. Never. How do we define hospitality, Maya? All right. Well, dad, let me know if this flies by you. But I think I studied hospitality for four years and every course I took, I learned something different and a different aspect of it. So I would start with a little background in the sense that one of my first classes at Cornell, it was um, management communications or the first level of that. And they were giving us career advice, right? So they were saying, this is how you should start in order to get the most hospitality experience humanly possible. So they said, do operations, start in operations, because you can't learn how to run a business, how to own a business, anything about hospitality, essentially, without working on the ground or working on the floor and doing those, the heavy duty lifting. So I did that, but that's another story. Uh, but essentially- Wait, I want to hear that. I want you to tell part of that story because it's pretty, no, that's it's okay. pretty great story. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we can come back there, but let's just let you get, I'm defining get to the hospitality. Yeah, uh, I think it's the interaction of people. So you're giving back, you're creating a community. I think if I had to pick one term to define hospitality, it would be community mm. and a sense of feeling, you know, that guest interaction. I love that sense of community. Um, <clears throat> and 
again, all these conversations that I'm having, it all revolves in this area around that and being open and creating and hearing from others. But so now Glenn, you've been doing this a lot longer than Maya. How do you define hospitality from all of your experience? Well, um, I mean, hospitality, I guess it was Danny Meyer who said that hospitality is a team sport. Um, and I, I guess that's, that's a pretty cool way of putting it, but I, I think that as an architect and a designer, you know, we need to be able to listen. Um, we need to be somewhat willing to be, we need to be, um, malleable in terms of that dialogue with our clients. I always say that, you know, how we service the hospitality industry is through, uh, empathy and integrity and listening to our clients and understanding what their needs are. Um, and I think that, you know, we're delivering a product where we're having people feel a certain way. And if you think about hospitality outside of, so that's design, but the cool thing about hospitality really for me is that it crosses so many different sectors and, you know, even listening to some of your podcasts, you know, hospitality comes in so many different shapes and so many different sizes and that the, the commonality, as Maya said, is a sense of community, but it's also, uh, a sense of, um, giving, uh, through empathy, through integrity, through the actions that we, um, that we provide or the actions that we make, uh, in given situations. I love that. And, you know, Maya, as far as that idea of community and then having that empathy and, and really listening from your experience in operations, what, as you were going through college and what you're doing now, how did, did you touch upon that? What did you learn? Well, I actually worked, uh, for Danny Meyer in the Inspire Hospitality Group. And so obviously they ingrained those, the empathy, the sympathy, just that overall sense of community. And while I was a hostess, there's just, they go that extra mile, you know, and that's what makes them special. And I think that's kind of what I've taken away with what my dad always says, when you're learning, when you're working, you learn what you want to be or who you want to be, who you don't, what you don't want to be like. And I remember being a hostess and wanting to display those feelings of empathy and wanting to connect with the guests more than just your average hostess. Maybe that was partially my dad's influence. Maybe that's just in my DNA. I'm not sure. Um, but that kind of made me who I am, essentially. I love that as well. And I keep hearing Danny Meyer. So I'm going to connect Danny Meyer to all three of us. Okay. Ah, so okay. Danny Meyer, um, if I can think of an ultimate guest on this, because I really love all the work that he's done on that idea of hospitality quotient and everything he's built at Union Square Hospitality. He was actually the last person that I talked to at an industry event, HD Summit, um, that Stacey Shoemaker puts on every year in Mexico, just before the pandemic and, and our whole industry basically shut down. And I asked, I was going to go, I was going to go to that and mm -hmm. decided there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. Maybe it would yeah. be a good idea to go. Well, I, I, after I went up to him and I had his book and he signed it and I talked to him and just told him like, what a fanboy I am. And, um, actually when I started writing and creating content, I guess in like 2016 or 17, 
there was a really cool meeting my I had with your dad. Um, we just, he's like, Hey, come on. I want you to check out this place. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was that new Danny Meyer bakery, right? Daily provisions. Was it, it was the daily provisions. My dad actually had recently, um, passed away and I was writing so much like impactful memoir type things. And I opened up and I shared it with your dad, Maya. And then, you know, that's when he told me that he had written this architect's cookbook. And so again, like Danny Meyer here is a theme and really he created that we were sitting in one of his restaurants um and it somehow had an effect on me to open up to your dad on on all on that front he's easy to do that too or with yeah because Um, i don't tell you what to do i just listen okay so you're designing environments glenn um and if you think about going into your book the architect's cookbook that you wrote and where you're going on this culinary journey of, okay, here's the built space. Uh, he, and here are some recipes that kind of tie me in through that. And it was also, I think that was your first book. Oh no, Max and the Magic Mushroom was your first book. Yeah, Max. With Maya. Max. Yep. 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 But like through all of that and all of your experience of just creating these environments, experiencing hospitality, like what was the best delivery of hospitality that you can remember in your career? It's a delivery, delivery of hospitality. Yeah. Um, well, I could tell you, I can tell you about the worst delivery of hospitality because it's, I guess it, there's a p- pending lawsuit about it. Um, so maybe that's for a future episode. Um, but best delivery of hospitality, boy. Um, that's a really good question. And. I'm thinking back pretty quickly because you kind of caught me completely off guard with that, which is, it's very cool because this is like right at the moment. Um, I mean, I've been at, I've been the fortunate recipient of incredible levels of hospitality. And, you know, you, when you go to a restaurant and, and I'll say this, um, some of these chefs that have created incredible menus, I've been the as I said, a fortunate recipient of some testing menus. So Gray Coons comes for comes to mind, for instance, when he had opened Cafe Gray at uh, the Time Warner Center. And I was there at, at his invitation because he wanted to tweak a few things in the design. Um, and I was there with his kitchen designer, a guy named Jimmy Yui, who's a, a dear friend of mine, also a Cornell grad. Um, and he designs kitchens. And we sat down at the chef's table and Gray just cooked for us. And I think we were there for three or four hours. And it was a one-on-one experience, which you just don't get in real life. Um, and it was truly behind the scenes and you could see his, his mind working. And I know you asked about hospitality experiences, but it's those kinds of moments that I've had in my life that actually prompted the, the reason why I wrote the book. Uh, which was to kind of crack open the creative process. Not so much that we do, because the creative process that we do, we know about it and I know about it and then there's no mystery to it, but it's very similar to what a chef does or a restaurateur does to creating a menu or creating a restaurant. And now now that I bought a little time, um, I remember a time when my wife and I went to the French Laundry and we, we went out there, uh, we went to Napa and Sonoma for our 10th, wedding anniversary, I believe. Um, 
and a, and a, a chef friend of mine, Jonathan Waxman had made the reservation of the French laundry. And, um, my wife is a little bit of a picky eater, right? Maya, just a, a little bit. A, a little bit. And, and we get there in the French laundry, hard restaurant to get into hard reservation to get. And we're sitting there. That's your Gavin Newsom. That's your Gavin Newsom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Good point. Um, and, and, um, you know, my, we look at the menu and my wife closes the menu and said, ah, not for me, let's go. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I mean, this is like oh. the, this is the cathedral here. So, uh, one of the servers or the hostess came over to us and said, is everything okay? Yeah. Um, and you know, my wife said, well, we're, you know, a little bit of a picky eater and the restaurant said, don't worry about it. We, we embrace that. And we just tell us what you don't like. Don't tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. And then we'll create a menu around that. And it was this incredible pivot for the kitchen. Um, you know, and, and, um, subsequent to that, I became friends with one of the chefs who probably was there and I told him the story and he goes, ah, we don't like that kind of thing, but we're forced to do it. Um, but that's the thing it's right. It's that empathy. It's that, it's that pivoting the quick pivot to be able to make the guest feel as if they are the number one. And, you know, how many times do we go into a restaurant? Um, I hate to hear it today when people are complaining about staff in restaurants, because that's just, you know, it blows my mind that people don't understand what's going on. But prior to the pandemic, you know, you, you're out to have a good time. And if something goes wrong, kind of roll with it. Um, yeah. so there, there are way too many examples of bad hospitality than, you know, the expect look. It, I want to guess, I want to get to the bad stuff in a minute because the bad stuff actually oftentimes informs us on a different journey, right? It's a, it's, it's a pain. It's a suffering that says, Ooh, we don't want to go back there again. But something that you said really resonated, um, in the, when you were having the, the testing menu up at Time Warner Center, when you were sitting there, what was his name? Yeah. Uh, great Kuntz who, oh, uh, sadly, sadly, uh, um, left us a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, he passed away. Um, I think he was in Hong Kong or Singapore at the time. Okay. Yeah. He was a, he was a, a bril brilliant, brilliant chef. Um, I'll be honest. We did not get, get along very well. He was, uh, a consulting chef for a hotel we were doing in Saratoga Springs. And he flatly said he didn't want us to be designing the, the hotel, not let alone the restaurant. He, but we. And we, the client said, no, you're both here. You're both on our team and you're going to work together and play in the sandbox together. So, and we did. Um, okay. So it, it's that experience didn't take away, didn't take away my admire admiration for this guy. Correct. Well, if you go into that, like that sandbox and playfulness, um, I can say that for me, when I'm helping come up with solutions for a hotel, like for product or whatever, one of my favorite things to do is, and I don't get to do it that often is to watch the, the creative process to watch you Glenn or your teams or other clients of mine, where they're like sitting there and feeling and looking at the palettes of fin uh, finishes and textures and textiles and kind of looking at that rainbow of solutions. And there's something about that moment where, where I can, they're so in this zone in this design development and picking what they want. And I, 
that brought me to your, the testing men or the testing menu that you were seeing. And it's that like kind of creative iteration that oftentimes we only see the end product and it's really special to be able to see that, uh, creative process and, and birthing process, if you will. Um, so I just, I, that really spoke to me and how do you, like, what's your favorite part of kicking off a project when it comes to that playfulness and sandbox? Well, it's, it's really the, the, the beginning part of that whole process is understanding the story. What is the story we're going to be telling about this project? And I kind of want Maya to tell a little bit of a story of, uh, Gabrielle Kreuther, because Maya would come with me to some construction meetings. She's had a, a pretty interesting seat for, for, um, my journey. Um, and I know this, Hey buddy, I know this was part of your call, one of your college essays, but why don't you tell Dan about that? Because that to me shows that, um, the story is, um, is working in a sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I never thought about it like that, but I remember wanting to spend the day with you in the city and it started with me getting a Shake Shack at Grand Central and sitting at one of the Danny Miller. Yeah, Danny Miller and facing the wall by myself. And I was like, this sucks. I should just, you know, suck it up and be a big girl or walk into the construction meeting because I could totally handle that. Um, So I walk into Gabrielle Kreuther and it is just a blank space. You know, it's a massive, massive restaurant. And I don't even think... Where the, was there any structure there yet, Dan? I don't think so. I like, think the there were no cars. The wall, the, the you, you could sense where the edge of the dining room was going to be yeah. and where the kitchen was going to be. Just for for reference sake, this is a a two Michelin star restaurant. Uh, the chef was again a Danny Meyer connection. Was, opened uh, the restaurant at the Modern Museum of Modern Art, mm-hmm. um, and this this was a uh, one of the finest gentlemen, forget about chef, find this gentleman, uh, that I've come in contact with in the 21 years I've been doing this, um, full of empathy, full of integrity. And he waited and waited and waited. He wasn't like, Hey, I got tattoos and I, I worked in a restaurant for a week. I'm going to open up my own restaurant. This is a, this is a chef who like went the apprentice apprenticeship route. And he was tapped every single place that he went. Like when he cooked at John George at Columbus Circle. And when John George had a guy like Gabriel Croyther in the kitchen, John George, you could pin the date when Gabriel took over that kitchen is when John George started his um, quest to open up restaurants around the world. Cause he had a guy in his flagship restaurant who knew what he was doing. And um, uh, yes, an anchor. And um, so this was Gabriel's first restaurant on his own and it was in the grace building which is like 50 yard line in new york city right on bryan park so sorry sorry buddy like kind of wanted to give a little context well thank you uh so i remember sitting in this like openly i think it was winter maybe it was freezing in this space which i feel like is a very important detail um and i'm sitting there with my shake shack and i remember sharing my fries with everyone which i don't like doing because i'm an only child uh but I remember hearing my dad tell the story of what he wanted. And I remember him saying, well, what do you want? Talking to the chef and saying, what's your vision? You know, like my dad always says he works, what makes his brand and his company so unique. And I may be butchering this, 
but he works for but, the away. He works for the people instead of for himself, you know? So if he wants to create the image of his client rather than have a company image, you know, rather than have a brand of his own. Um, and so I said to him, well, your brand is creating those unique and those creative moments in these restaurants that now I'm more in tune to when I go dine, not only at restaurants my father has designed, but at any restaurant, you know? So at Gabrielle Kreuther, I remember going back and it was the story of the store. So it was always cool for me to be able to see the construction site and then come back a few months or a year later and have the columns up and you have the art coming in and the wallpaper and you're having or figuring out how to space the tables evenly so that it's not too tight but not too spaced out and finding that balance. So I really got to see the project from start to end and hear the story that the chef wanted to tell, hear the story of Alsace and having the light fixtures look like the street lamps and the most unique little touches that my dad was able to add in order to tell this story. And what always makes me as upset is that people that don't appreciate hospitality don't under, you know, they don't have an appreciation for those little things. Not that it's expected that you would go into a restaurant and say, oh, those poles, they must be from an old barn stable in Vermont, the columns. Like that, it's not intuitive, but I've dined with a lot of my friends who just don't have that same sort of appreciation. Not that everyone's supposed to. I think it's very niche. Um, but yeah. I think it's an, what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. What's interesting about what Maya's saying is that I start thinking about her generation and, um, and all of our clients, every single one of our clients, no matter how old they are, they all have, have bought into this concept of Instagrammable moments, right? And, and, and it's funny because Maya's of that generation where they are, you know, looking at Instagram or they're on Snapchat or, you know, and these are important, in a sense, important social, um, platforms for us. And I, I would say, and I think Dan, at one of the hospitality design summits years ago, I think one of the people said. The best way to stay relevant is to make sure that your 12 year old child is teaching you how to use these applications, these apps. And I took it even further. My wife and I have shared our love of our music, but at the same time, I have to understand what she's listening to because I'm not just designing it for people who are my age or our, our age, we're designing it for that next generation. And that's the thing that, that, you know, kind of when everybody was talking about, you remember those days when we were talking about how do you design for the millennial? That bothered me because the millennial is going to no longer want that cool hip thing. So we have to figure out a way to strike a balance through our design skills that there are Instagram moments, there is technology, but there's also, we're designing across a broader spectrum. And the quotient of not hospitality, but the demand for quality design has her generation is sort of pushing us just as our generation learned that design was a really key element. I mean, I remember nobody talked about restaurant design when I went to college, I taught in the hotel school. I was a teaching assistant. We taught about how to make a decent hotel room, Mm -hmm. but not like today. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's such a great time to be doing this. Well, I also like to, to be able to 
pull experience and and vision from a 12 year old and what they're using and how their experience is going to be, it, it promotes that idea of constant evolution. And, yes. and Maya speaking to you where, you know, I heard you say that many of those design details just get lost on many people. I agree. However, when it's done right and done correctly, or it's, it strikes that balance, if you will, um, I think it, there's this additive, um, and cumulative effect to the overall experience. And, you know, in a lot of these conversations, it's all about, okay, the places that we leave or build or the people that we interact with, each one of those is an opportunity to change the trajectory of someone else's life experience. So I very like, I totally hear what you're saying, um, on that front. And to be able to see it go from start to finish and then be there with your friends who might not appreciate it, I, I can see that conflict within you. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't get is you said it was really important um, that it was cold, that we needed to know why it was cold. Bring mm-hmm. back around to that one. It was just like setting the scene, you know? Like I talked about how I was scared to go in there. I was very shy. I don't know how old I was, but I was very shy and just. I didn't want to speak up in these meetings. I didn't know if I was supposed to be there. You know, it's just this big, open, empty, cold space. And, you know, the question is, like, what's going to go in there? How, how is it going to look in a few months from now, in a few weeks from now? Like, it's, I always bring back this concept of um, a blank canvas. And that was literally what we were standing in. You know, we were standing in, it's like a polar bear in a snowstorm, right, Dan? And mm-hmm. it's... It just, you know, it's crazy to see how my dad's creative mind works. And it's something that I always have appreciated. Just standing there in that open, cold space, you know, gives you a different perspective. And what was cool for for, for me, what was cool was um, when Maya started to think about um, combination of think about and kind of exert, someone exerting a little pressure to think about the hospitality industry and to start thinking about going to the hotel school, Maya spent a couple of weeks at, at the restaurant, um, after it had opened and she worked in the pastry department for a while, which was crazy because she had never cooked or baked anything other than in like an easy bake oven, maybe. Hey, 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 be nice. Holly hobby. (laughs) Um, But Maya, go, what I wanted to ask you about there is that especially as you're starting your career journey, like graduating college now, you know, you're working on, on the more financial side of, of hotels, that nervousness that you felt about going in there, mm-hmm. how did that inform you starting the job that you're at right now? And how did you make yourself feel comfortable and confident going into what you're doing now? Well, I'm still working on that part, but it was a learning process. So, you know, I was always, I think I'll also tie it into the only child aspect, which if my friends ever listen to this, they will say that it's all I talk about ever. But I think it really does make me who I am in the sense that I was always surrounded by adults, you know? So even though that was walking into Gabrielle Kreuther into this blank canvas was a big challenge for me. It's something that I've been able to put into my like personal toolbox, you know, and take it into my internships, take it into my jobs. And able to gain that confidence and just be able to say okay like I can speak up for 
what I'm interested in and what I, my opinion, but it's just about getting into the groove of things and being able to find your place, you know? So that's where I am now. Okay. And then when you find that place or space <laughs> that where you get comfortable, like you're on, un- we all get uncomfortable, then we get comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, like, how do you make yourself feel comfortable when you're feeling that nervousness? Like, what do you do? Well, I talk too much. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> but I bring it back to the hospitality aspect. So even though I am working in finance, it's still all related. And a lot of people, once again, don't see that. But I think that's kind of a gift of the hotel school. Uh, so I'm trying to connect with my coworkers. I'm not working with, my, with the clients as much, with the people that we're investing with. But I find a way to create that empathetic connection you know to make it seem like there's a person behind the numbers there's a person behind the powerpoints and i think that's where you tie in everything that we're kind of discussing to my life personally so it's really listening hearing what's going on and and making those kind of boring numbers be more human yeah making them human making them personable creating a story you know as simple as it sounds just at least that's how i like to do it it makes it more exciting for me okay cool and and glenn so not about you so much but i heard you say like working for um not for you but for for the company or for the team like how what do you do to make your teams feel comfortable well the um what i do with my teams is i treat them I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but I treat them the way that I want to be treated. And, you know, and Maya alluded to this before, you know, it, as, as, as we go through different jobs and we go through different, different places. And I, I, I wanted to be an architect from, I don't even know, from such a young age, um, probably because I grew up watching the Brady Bunch. Um, and the dad was Mr. Brady. was an architect for, for Maya, your generation. You don't know that. But um, I tell this story all the time. So yes, I do know that. But you only okay. have one kid. You need five more, Glenn. Yeah. I, I know. Oof. That would be, um, yeah. I don't know what I would do. But anyway, the, um, the, I had jobs where I was part of a team and I had jobs where, you know, you're, you're treated horribly. I remember, I remember a sign in one of the offices that I worked in, um, it said, uh, it was like by the blueprint machine. Those are the days when we actually made blueprints, but, uh, it said, uh, doing a good job around here is like peeing in a dark pair of pants. You have a warm feeling, but nobody notices. Um, <laughs> and then it went on to say, you know, doing a bad job around here is like peeing in a white pair of pants. Um, everybody notices. So, you know, it's, it's a funny thing to say, but through, through the evolution of my firm, the success of the firm has been 100% on the people that have worked for me. And it's a small firm. We've had people who've gone on to do amazing things. Um, and, and, and I, I applaud them. I'm a cheerleader. I, I don't expect that a lot of the designers that come through the office will stay with us for a long period of time. I want them to grow. I want them to participate. I want them to have a voice in the office. And that's the unique thing that, uh, that I've been able to provide to designers where we may not be paying the highest fee, 
the highest salaries to people, but the end goal, the benefit. I mean, we had a we had a summer intern this summer who was amazing. And and it was a weird time when we hired her to come on board. You know, fees are down, PPP, pandemic, all that stuff. And I said, listen, I can't pay you, but what I can give you is going to be much more valuable than what if I paid you minimum wage, it would be BS, right? But the experience you're going to get, you're, if you have the skills, we will put you on a team and you will be treated like an employee here and you will go to meetings, you will design stuff, you'll figure stuff out but as much as you want to take on. I've had young designers who have run projects and, um, and that, that is what I love about what I do on a daily basis. What I really dislike is, is I know we're on Zoom right now, but the, the collaborate, collaborative portion of what we do, we're pretty good at it on Zoom and, you know, Teams and all these other platforms, but nothing replaces being in an office together and designing and pulling materials and say, hey, what do you think of this? But um, historically, over the 21 years, there have been incredible people who have come through the office who I hope that if they're asked the question, did you learn anything? Did you grow? That they would say unequivocally that they, they did that. And, um, and that's, that, that, that's the true fundamental of what I've been able to do in terms of my practice is we give people opportunities to tell incredible stories with some really great clients. I think that's what, one of the things that makes our industry so amazing as far as hospitality, no matter what channel, there's this idea of nurture, growth, and um, mutually desired for success for everyone. So in all the people that I've met to and many of the conversations that I've been having, you know, when people grow and then they leave and start their own, I've never heard an ill word about it. It's always congratulations. I'm so happy for them where that's in our industry. I have friends in other industries where they're like, you know, fuck that person. That's terrible. Like, I hope that they, I hope that they go, they burn, you know, it's like, it is the, it's a stark difference between us because I, I feel like that there's that whole idea of nurturing and giving without expectation. I I want to tell a little bit of a story. So, um, I went to the architecture school at Cornell. And this was pre, I graduated in 1985, and this was pre-computer drafting and uh, uh, laser cutting, laser etching, CNC routers, you know, put in your 3D model and get it printed out as a 3D model on a 3D printer. Um, We would spend night after night after night working on these perfectly drawn ink drawings on Mylar or on vellum, and we would hang them up bleary-eyed in the morning. Um, and professor, and we'd have these perfect white models that we made. And, you know, sometimes there'd be like, what am I going to do? I got blood on it because it was like five in the morning and you're cutting your finger off. Um, and you would never go and get it. You know, we were tough there, you know, we would just use scotch tape or masking tape and tape it up and try not to get blood on your drawings or on your model. And, and, um, you would pin it up the next day. And the professors would um, start to draw on it and they would start to rip open your model 
And it took me a long time to understand what they were doing. And when it finally connected with me was um, about a year after I started my firm, um, we had done a restaurant in a, ho we had designed a hotel in Midtown and we had designed the restaurant and the restaurant had gotten a two-star review from William Grimes in the New York Times. And this is before internet, he would read it on a, everybody would wait till it was printed, but on WOR on channel nine in New York, he would have a sheet in front of his face and he would read the review at midnight and everybody would stay up and listen to this thing. And, um, and he wrote an amazing review of this restaurant. It was called Moda, M-O-D-A. And, and he mentioned my name in the review. It was like, holy shit, you know, I've made it. And then a week later, Steve Cuso, who was the anonymous at the time, he's no longer anonymous, but he's still the food critic at the New York Post. He wrote, and I literally think that he did this because he wanted to piss me off. Um, he wrote the headline in the New York Post review. It said no to Moda. And the, the letters were gigantic. It was like 60 point uh, letters. And I realized at that moment why the professors were ripping apart our models and drawing on our models. We had to have thick skin and we had to learn the hard way because not everybody's going to love, not everybody's going to be Bill Grimes and love your restaurant. They're going to take you down. And, um, and I, I pivot to the hotel school where they're teaching about business, but using hospitality as the common uh, thread, right? Hotel school. Well, I'm not going to run a hotel. Maya's not running a hotel or a restaurant, but hospitality, that's like the glue that connects it all. And I said to Dean Walsh one time, because I got involved with a, a advisory board and I said, the amazing thing about the hotel school versus the architecture school. And the architecture school still does it, although you can reprint your drawing after a professor draws all over it. Um, hotel school, the architecture school was, we want you to succeed, but we're going to, that success is going to be based upon fear and intimidation because there are going to be critics out there. The hotel school, and I lighten my voice as I say this, they want you to succeed, but through the aspect of hospitality and empathy. And that's the big difference. And that's why I love the hotel school so much and the, and the graduates that come out. I will note that the, this incredible intern that we had this summer, she's going to get a second degree in interior design. Her first degree, she graduated from the hotel school and, wow. and was just the incredible product of the school because she could communicate. You know, I think about Maya, like Maya's growth from being a pretty shy, um, only child to hold, hold on one second gets up I and wanna, speaks. I want to go back to that architecture school experience where, um, and cause there's an interesting dichotomy between the architecture school and the hospitality ideals, right? Empathy versus let's get you some thick skin so you can build it. I did a summer program at the architecture school when I was in high school and I Rand hall. Is that the name of the, yeah. I remember being yeah, up yeah. all night building this cube with like fragmented spaces within it. And it was the first time I'd really learned about, I've done art and create, been very creative, but the design process, like having a thesis, picking a word and then like fabricating it. And I was up all night, bloody fingers. We reviewed it and it just got torn apart literally. Cause it was like, oh, and I was mortified, shocked, horrible, but it also fed into my belief that feedback 
negative, positive is great, but negative to me is also like an opportunity to reboot, an opportunity to really delight whatever is next, because it's so rare that we do get that negative feedback. Everything is like, oh, it's so nice and so great. But that negative feedback is just very directional for anything that I go through. So, you know, going into like delivering hospitality and defining it, oftentimes the worst experiences help us find a different path onto the right road. So Maya, coming back to you, whether it's a case study or a real life experience or just, you know, in your nascent career, what is the worst experience of receiving hospitality that you've ever had? Huh. Well, same recent experience as my dad, which we can't disclose. Oh, right. So a different one. Don't pick that one. <laughs> but, you know, they hit two big hospitality people with bad hospitality. It just never ends well. Okay. While you're thinking, yeah. Glenn, how about you? As far as like one of those terrible experiences that really informed you in a different direction, that, that peeing in, your, in the white pants kind of situation. Oh, uh, well, I mean... I'm not going to relate it to a, um, an experience where I was on the receiving end of, of service because we've all been in that situation. And I think that those are always the tests, right? Uh, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Uh, if there's a bug in your food or there's something in your drink or you got the wrong order, you know, and, and I think that the, the, the neat thing about being in the, in the community is, is, uh, is again, having empathy for the people who might've made the mistake or didn't make the mistake and were delivering the mistake. Um, I I'll relate it to more about my clients. Um, and, and the positives are just before the pandemic, I had made a decision that I wasn't going to take on every single project. I, I was, I, the, 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 the gauge for me and taking on a project was I had to be excited about this project. I no longer needed in my mind to take on projects just to pay bills. Um, I wanted to work with people that respected what we did, that had the passion for the project, that wanted to participate in the process. And uh, one other thing, just to bring it back to Maya there, that taking these passion projects that you're interested in because you don't have to pay the bills, having Maya finish college probably had a, a big role in that too, right? 100%. Thank you, Maya. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> 100% um, when, when she, we knew she was off the payroll. Um, so, but thank you for pointing that out. Um, but I've had clients in the past that were really horrible human beings. And I remember one time where uh, we had done a model room for a hotel and it was a client that I really didn't, we had already done a project for, and I did not want to do this next project. Mm-hmm. And the client's father talked me into doing the project because he said, I really need you. I need someone with your expertise and experience to be able to help guide the process. And when the model room came and, and it was, it w- we were treated so horribly by the, the offspring of, of the father, I called him up and I said, I can't continue to work on this project. And he said, um, I understand that. And, um, I'll, I'll let you go. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll mutually agree to, to do this. And, and his, uh, child, uh, fought 
me on that and fought um, and said, no, you know, you're going to, we're going to sue you. This is terrible. And, and I, I, um, everything was set up to be, it doesn't matter about the design. It was just about the respect and it was about the delivery. And at a certain point, you just don't want to take that kind of abuse. Um, or I, I've left projects when clients have insulted or have poorly treated my team. Um, and that is not happening now because we've, we're taking on projects. I'm doing a better job of, of, of evaluating clients when they're interviewing us, I'm doing a better job of interviewing them and finding out, will this work out or will this not work out? So that, that's super interesting. Like, how do you, how do you figure out, like, what are your instincts or actual measurables that you are judging them on so that you decide whether it's a good fit or not? Well, there's a very specific question I ask. Um, and that question is who's going to be making the decisions. Okay. And what I will go any deeper. What's the best answer you could hear? Well, the, the best answer is the most honest answer. And that is I'm having my entire family look at this project. Um, she might laughing because she's heard some of these stories, but the reality is if, if, if we're making a presentation to, uh, a client and that client is going to go home and make the same presentation to the family and get their feedback, I make it very, very simple. Let me make that presentation to your family. Mm -hmm. Let the, if they're going to have a voice, I want them to have a voice, but let them have a voice at the table where they're getting all the information. And the most successful projects are those that are completely honest and that those people are participating in the process mm. because there's a, the, I, I, I do very thorough presentations. I love to give presentations. I love to tell stories about how we came up with this solution. And there is no, I don't think there's any way that, that someone who's hearing that for the first time or second time is going to be able to recreate that. And you have to understand the context of design to be able to really be able to tell the story. Why is there, uh, um, and I remember this, we go back to Gabriel Croyther. We couldn't figure out, there were two things in this restaurant we couldn't figure out. We couldn't figure out a bar stool and we couldn't figure out a chandelier in the middle of the dining room. And the day, and I, I remember I was with a chef and we were dining at a restaurant. It was with the Drew, at Batard, Drew Meeporin's restaurant. And I did a sketch of a bar stool. And he kind of comes over and he goes, oh, a bar stool that uh, has the shape of a heart. That's perfect because that's what, how they welcome people in Alsace. And then we built the bar stool, didn't tell anybody about it. And the bar, the, 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 the sommelier, the head, the head sommelier, uh, uh, saw the bar stool coming into the restaurant and she's like giving training and she stops and she said, I have to stop. I'm getting emotional about this bar stool, this bar stool is the way that Chef Kreuther's basically saying, welcome to my restaurant with this bar stool. I've um, never heard of anyone getting emotional about a bar stool. So thank you. Oh my God. We get, we get emotional <laughs> about bar stools all the time. Bar stools are, are, are cool. Um, but it, it had a heart car, 
carved in the back of the bar stool. And if you, if you look, as you learn about, uh, Strasbourg and Alsace and you, you, you understand that when the shutters are closed, you know, the, the, the people in the home are resting, but when they open the shutters, oftentimes definitely in Alsace, there's a heart that's either engraved or cut out or painted on the, in, the inside of the shutter that is now open facing out, which is the pineapple. That is the literal pineapple of Alsace. It is about hospitality. It's about welcome. And, and that simple move. Now we talked about this earlier in the interview, you know, there, there are so many little pieces of the story that have been woven through all of our projects mm -hmm. and very few people get that. And look, I wrote the book to be able to tell some of these stories, you know, like the police uniform buttons that we put in carbone, nobody talks about the police uniform buttons, but it was our kind of nod to, um, you know, gangsters and cops in Italian American restaurants. Mm. Um, so were they copper buttons? They were, uh, brass buttons that we bought on eBay. Uh, they were vintage, uh, police coat buttons. So, um, you just said, I'm, I, I love the story of the open shutters and then there's the heart and that's the pineapple, pineapple being a, a symbol, but there's also this theme that I've been hearing of this open hearted listening. And when you, when I asked you about the types of clients that you like to work with or not, and who you want to, okay, I want to present to your whole family. Yeah. Oftentimes I found that when I'm presenting, I'm really good at hearing what is unsaid. So when you're presenting, yeah, you're speaking, you're telling them the story. How are you gauging and reading the room? You're, you're, you know, it, it's, it's a great question, you know, and I, I remember, you know, like we didn't have, we had flip phones when I first started and nobody was really obsessed with their phones. And look, I've given presentations at HD and at BDNY and the different conferences and you look out at the audience and you kind of pause and nobody, nobody's listening. Um, so, um, or very few people are listening. Sorry. I, everybody in the world. Um, but the, the, it's just through intuition. I mean, you do it as well. You're, you're, you're not only speaking, but you're listening and you're seeing body language and you're seeing how people, people smiling or people kind of frowning. Um, and I, I get it when I interview people and, and I, I'm brutally honest when they interview people and I'll just stop them in the middle of when they're talking about for 10 minutes about a specific project. I said, you lost me, you know, and if you're going to interview anywhere else, you have to, and I coach them and I try and give them some feedback. Like you, you, you have to pay attention. If you sense that I'm gone and I'm not even looking at my phone, which I won't do in an interview, but pay attention, pay attention to the room, pay attention to the people that you're presenting to. And, um, and, and then you get that, that feedback, you get that, you know, I love that now. So that paying attention and being open and like really tapping into that intuition, Maya, are there any tactical things that you learned in the hotel school, whether working in operations or even just theoretical to become a better listener? I think a lot of it, honestly, hotel school, not so much. I can't name 
I mean, probably. And I just, I could simply not remember. So I guess it wasn't empowering enough is how I look at it. Um, I think a lot of it comes back to like how I've grown up and just, you know, learning with, from my dad and learning from my experiences with him. I'm a very visual learner. So I learn from experiences. I learn from sitting in on a meeting with him and just being like, okay, like that was a little weird or why didn't they say something or they said too much or things like that. And I think that being a listener, and I also apply it in my personal life, you know, so it's being there for your friends, being a good listener to them, not being the person that's always talking about yourself, but being the person mm -hmm. that's open. And so I've, I'm really curious about this because where you're, where your dad is saying he has intuition that's been honed and a muscle strengthened over decades doing what he's doing. Like you're just beginning your journey in hospitality. I mean, you've been in it for a while, but like now nine to like more than nine to five, but every day you're doing it and your intuition is forming right now. Yes. So have, has there been any advice or correction or feedback that you've gotten that maybe helped you think about it a little bit differently in your yeah. career? I think it's definitely all about listening. Obviously that's what it comes down to in terms of starting your career. But I think that asking questions is the most important thing. And whenever I ask at the end of an interview or just any conversation I have with anyone, a mentor, a friend, what advice do you have for me? Ask questions, be a sponge. Those are the two main things that I've heard time and time again. How can you learn as much as humanly possible in your career in through each experience that you're a part of? So if that's by asking questions, if that's by listening and doing the research on your own, it just, for me, it personally depends on the scenario. So, mm. and I'm a very big reader um, in the sense of like reading the room, not as much reading what's on paper. Um, do people want to answer my questions right now? Is this a good opportunity to ask questions, you know? So it's, yes, about listening, but I also think it's about inquiring too. So uh, from I, my I, experience... Oh yeah. Hold on. I just want to kind of fill in the gaps on here. Cause I had, as I was really, uh, many years ago, building a leadership team, I hired a leadership coach and like, we're all working there. We were coming up with these issues. Like how do we solve them? And my team would start talking about them and I would finish their sentences for them. And he told me in front of everyone, he's like, he, I saw him like getting antsy and he's like, Dan, you have great people around you. You need to shut the fuck up and let them finish their sentences and listen. And it made going to those meetings every month, every quarter, every year, um, so difficult. But also I knew that growth comes from being uncomfortable and I just, it really changed me around. So that was one like good smack in the head that I got to just really listen more. And it's been a, it's been a constant journey since then. And Glenn, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll yeah, no, no, no. And I love, and I, I love, I love what you just said and I don't, Maya doesn't like telling the story too much, but I'm going to tell And I'm sorry to curse in front of her. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> she's like a truck. She's like a truck driver. I'm not. Be nice. <laughs> um, so I remember when Maya was uh, going through the interview rounds at some of the places and she said, she called me up one day and she's like, I, I, I didn't get the job. And I'm like, why? And she said, well, I, it was going great. They asked me some questions. I had the answers to the questions. And there was one where I just, I couldn't, Maya, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there was one question. I just, I, I couldn't answer the question. And so I, I said, well, what did you say? And she said, well, you know, look, I could answer this question if you gave me more data. 
and you allow me to ask you a couple of questions in order to get some context to the question. Um, I said, you got the job. And she's like, why? I didn't answer the question. And I said, well, some of these questions are designed to find out if you're going to be a, a wise ass and you think you know the answers to everything. And what employers want to do, want to know is that you're not afraid to answer, to ask a question in order to answer a different question. And, and the fact that you're in a, uh, of, at looking at a job that requires data and you don't have the data in front of you shows you do know how to work in a collaborative environment. And that to me was like, whoa, how did, how did you even know to answer the question that way? But, and she did get the job. Um, and I, and you know, look, I'm, I'm really, really proud of, of, of my kid. Um, and it's, it's moments like that where you feel like as a parent, you've done everything that you possibly can do. Uh, and her mom was, is amazing. Not was, is amazing at, in terms of counseling and coaching and raising and rearing. Um, you know, I remember the day when, you know, someone asked Maya, Hey, do you want to, do you want to be an architect like your dad? And she said, no, he's never home. Um, I never said that. Did I say that? She, I think you did say that. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, <laughs> but it, it's, it, you know, that that's, you know, it, if we're looking, if anybody's listening and is going to an interview, don't be afraid to say, you don't know the answer to the question, mm -hmm. but I need more information. It can't just be like, no, I don't know the answer. Yeah. have to. So. I, I, and I want to bring this into the present because, you know, Maya, you know, you went through that interview, you got the job, you're working in the capital markets, right? So if we're in the present right now, what's keeping you up at night? <clears throat> A lot of things. My torn ACL or one of them, but okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of greater life things, uh, it's, I, I've always been the kind of person who's ready for the next thing, you know? So when I was in high school, I was ready for college. When I was at college, I was ready to work. And now I'm wondering, okay, where am I going to be five years from now? You know, am I still going to be doing this? Am I going to be pursuing a different career path? I'm, I get very antsy, you know? So that's what keeps me up is not feeling, it's not a feeling as much of, I just, I always want to know what's next. So I've been trying to, kind of not accept that I can't control that, you know, and to just try and go with the flow more often than not. Uh, but Thank you for sorry. sharing that. That's, that's like really insightful for you to share. <laughs> and then, and, and you also gave some examples of when, when you felt that way before in the past. So if you, if there were other people who were just starting out in their career, what advice can you give them about not getting that antsy feeling or staying with the antsy feeling or like what, yeah. what advice can you give to others facing this issue? I think in the past, I've kind of benefited from the antsy feeling. Um, I think I've always been wiser than my age, I guess, mm -hmm. not to compliment myself. Um, but I just, I, I feel like I've always, I, I don't know. I think that I've always just had a more holistic outlook on I was always realistic with my friends, even growing up or in college, I lived in a house with 18 girls and I was the realistic one. I was the mom of the house. Okay, Maya, what do we do here? And I think what I learned from that experience, especially was to live more in the moment, but also 
be a sponge within those 18 bedrooms, that 18 bedroom mansion. Um, I I forgot exactly how you put it, but it was like being okay with being in that nervous energy. Yeah. Is that what you said? Definitely. It's really interesting you say that too, because as I'm doing this, uh, uh, an upcoming guest I have, she wrote a book called Nervous Energy and it's about anxiety. She's a psychiatrist or she's a psychologist and it's about how do you stay in that nervous energy place and what can you learn from it? So thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. And then Glad, Maya, do you think that any of that nervous energy comes from growing up dancing? Probably. Um, There's always an idea of like perfection with being a ballerina. Um, And that was also me. I don't know. There's something in my DNA where I was always, I wanted to be the best or I wanted to like move up and be with the big girls in my ballet class. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have a torn ACL. Now I have a 20. So ballet's got to wait for a little while. Yes. That one's on the side burner. Well, I so, like, so, does, so does golf. So does golf has to go on the side burner a little bit. Now, Glenn, as far as like, as you're thinking and seeing what's going on and you've been through a lot of cycles, um, what's keeping you up at night these days? Well, I will make a very, uh, strong point. Nothing is keeping me up these days because I'm on medication that makes me tired all day long. So. Um, for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, I don't need anything to, uh, help me fall asleep at night. Um, but hopefully that, med- not hopefully that part ends, but hopefully I don't have to take medication for much longer, but, um, you know, it, it's, it, the pandemic is, um, has given me some perspective in terms of how we do our business, how we deliver our projects. And I, I feel like we can go after projects that are not locally based at this point, because we are so good at being remote. I know earlier I said, I don't like being remote and that's true. I like the collaboration, but, um, I, I think that, uh, the tools that we have show that we can design a project in Oklahoma, which is what we're doing, or we could go after work overseas. And so that's the positive part of it. The, the things that, uh, keep me up at night, if I were up, if I do wake up at five in the morning, um, you You know, five in the morning, what do you say? I know. I I didn't sleep well tonight. My, remember what Springsteen said last night is like, I'm in a bad, you know, right. What Springsteen said is that he's up five times a night. Um, so, you know, I'm not up that often, but that's related to him being 71. Can you believe Springsteen's 71 years old? Yes, I can. Make, make, he has more energy than anyone I've ever makes, It may, it I've makes sense. Him a so, um, okay. Going back to but, like keeping you up and like in the pandemic and yeah. What's keeping you up? Like, oh. How are you? How are you solving? How are you? You know, look, I being okay I, with. That? I have an office that I'm. I have an office that I'm paying rent for. That people are there one time a week. So, I'm paying for an office space that it just seems silly, and it has seemed silly since the beginning of the pandemic. And I would go in and uh, water the plants. Like, why do I need to be here? But I want to be there, and I and and I signed a lease, and I'm sticking to it. But I. I believe we're going to be back in the office, but, you know, paying that amount of money and rent every single month 
is uh, is asinine to me, but we're going to keep oh, doing it. So wait, uh, going back to the, on that asinine thing and something you said earlier that really struck me, this whole idea of Zoom, like we're getting it done, we're collaborating, we're being creative, but I think so much is lost in that time waiting by the water cooler in that time, just after work, getting into the office, walking out, having lunch with people. It's that's where the ideas really get to germinate. Well, I, I was in the office a couple of weeks ago and a couple of people were talking, you know, and they were looking at things and they were looking at each other's computer screens and they were doodling a little bit, or they were pulling up some materials and showing them. And I just sat back, I leaned back and I smiled and I didn't say anything. It's just like, that's what I love about what we do. And you cannot do that on Zoom. You can't do that through a phone. I will say I've gotten more engaged on projects because I have to focus on a drawing or I have to focus on a submittal. And when I'm in the office, I feel like, hey, I hear what's going on. So it's okay that I don't see necessarily every single thing, but I do have a whole lot more. Uh, look, everybody talks about, I have more time on my hands than I've ever had before because I'm not commuting or I'm not sitting at my desk. And I, I do believe we've lost certain aspects of what makes us great. We've gotten better on some areas that we weren't so good at before. And that's following up on details. So mm -hmm. the, 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 the recalibration when we do, when I'm saying when we go back to the office, because it's not an if we will be back in the office, um, whether it's five days a week, unlikely, but it could be three days a week. It could be a, a, a mixture. So I think about that. I think, you know, look, I would, I'm, I'm generally super optimistic. Our industry is so, um, um, uh, it, it, we're, we're, we're able to bounce back and we're resilient. Uh, the people in it, the projects in it are, pro are, we're, we're working on incredibly exciting projects right now. We're redoing the Chiquit Inn. It's a historic hotel on Shelter Island. We're doing a hotel, um, a new build in a small town in Hudson called, uh, uh, the town is, uh, Kuxaki, or mm -hmm. you might want to pronounce it Coxsackie, like the skin thing, but, um, and, and a few restaurants and we finished a food hall at Columbia university. I, it goes back to that desire to work on really great projects with really great human beings. And so what keeps me up is what kept me up in the past. What's next? What's, what's our next tranche of projects so in the, so on the flip side of that, what, what are you most excited about in the future? Uh, what's most exciting you coming up? Well, it's, it, I think that, um, what's exciting is getting back into the city on a regular basis and getting back with my team on a regular basis. Um, and, and, and executing projects. Look, I don't know, there were so many different discussions and I was on different advisory boards about how we're going to come out of the pandemic, how we're going to treat it, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that. You know, lessons learned. Yes. There are certain lessons that are immediate in terms of how we deliver projects better. Um, will the dining population change? Will, will, you know, I did another interview previous a couple of days ago where someone said, are we in this cycle of why, why are restaurants being a certain way? And I said, well, it's, it's kind of cyclical. If you kind of, if you look at it, 
after 9-11, restaurants became very casual because people wanted a hug. People needed a hug. We needed to hug people. What is the characteristic that's going to come out of the pandemic? Is it similar to what we were seeing after 9-11? Or is it something that we saw similarly as we came out of the financial crisis? Um, in I don't know, but I just want to hug everyone I see. That's kind of where... I agree. I agree. I agree. And, and, and I'm sorry I missed HD Summit this year. I know you were there. Um, and I've spoken to some people that said it was... It was like the old days, right? When it yeah. was smaller and more intimate. And, and I, and I, I remember meeting you for the first time and playing poker, uh, it may be in Beaver Creek and yeah. going, oh man, it was like two years after I started my firm and I'm like, shit, this is, this is awesome. Like I'm hanging out with these dudes and we're skiing during the day. What could be bad about that? I think that was one and of that the first ones. It was number two. It was number uh, two. Okay. There we go. 20 and, years and, ago, 19 years ago. Certainly. So what, what, look, I'm on, uh, Stacy's advisory board for the HG magazine and, you know, I miss, I miss the community. Like Maya said earlier, you know, hospitality is about community, but we know our community and you and I both feel, I know we, because we've talked about this, we feel the same way about this incredible community and I'm not. I'm not competing with anybody. There's so many projects. I I'm a cheerleader for, for people that do what I do and I respect what everybody does. And, um, and it, and, and that's the sense of this community. We're not cutthroat. We're again, that difference between Cornell architecture school and the hotel school is that we want to see people succeed through hospitality, not through fear and fear and intimidation. Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I miss that community as well. And just thinking about, you know, winning and community and transitioning to, are the Jets going to be over 500 this year? They're winning it. They're going to win it all. Ha! You are the eternal optimist, Glenn. That is the best thing I've heard in a really long time. Listen, there's no, you know, you're, we're in first place right now. Okay. It's preseason. Yeah. I love, look. Enjoy don't it. Get me started on, don't get me started on sports because, you know, I spent three years at Nike and one of the greatest lessons that I learned when I was at Nike is this, the sports metaphor. And I've used this throughout my career and this, you didn't set me up on this on purpose, but I'm going to take it and run with it. But the, the, every project we do is like a new season. It's zero, zero. And we can't just because we won the world series last year, does it mean we're going to win it again this year. So every single project is an opportunity to, to, to win, to learn about ourselves, to tell stories. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're only as good as what we're doing and what is in front of us, not just what we did previously. Well, enjoy that optimism for the jets because they are in first place. And I really, I really want you to to stay with that. But thank you for sharing that Nike story. I, I do like that. I look at like every calendar year, um, is a new opportunity. It's, you know, you're starting at zero. Um, I look at yeah. every quarter to do new initiatives as a, it's a fresh, fresh slate. Um, I heard someone say, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago or today, right? It's a fresh start. Um, so Springsteen said last night that the future has not been written yet. It hasn't. 
Yes. I know it's not a Springsteen quote, but um, maybe it was a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. I'm not sure who to attribute it to other than the boss, right? Well, we can attribute a lot to the boss. He's incredible. Um, yeah. And also being a fellow Jersey boy, you know, we got, we got them all together. That's true. Um, That's true. Hey, Glenn, where can people find you? Um, well, currently I'm downstairs in the den of my home in Westchester. Um, but Instagram, it's uh, Glenn Coben at Glenn Coben. And the company one is, uh, at Glenn and Comp. What is it, Maya? You're the director of digital oh, it's media. A, you made it so poorly. It was like at Glenn underscore and underscore co company. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the web, what, what about the company website? Glennandcompany.com, all spelled out. G-L-E-N. Not like my grandmother, who gave me two N's my entire life. Uh, God bless her. She made it to 101 and still spelled my name wrong for however many years I was alive when she was alive. Um, but yeah, glennandcompany.com. Um, you know. And, and the buy Max. The book. How do people buy Max and the Magic Mushroom? And the Architects Cookbook. Well, we'll start with the Architects Cookbook. Uh, can be purchased on Amazon. Um, but if someone is looking to interview me to do a restaurant, I usually bring that as a as a business card. Um, you shouldn't so, that. Well, no, but I also say that I'm not going to sign it unless we work together. So valuable. It's more valuable unsigned because you can return it to Amazon. Uh, like a Mark Sanchez autograph. It's like a Mark Sanchez autograph or a Boomer Esiason yeah. autograph. Oh, uh, Boomer. And then uh, Max and the Mighty Mushroom is, uh, has had a limited edition printing and you have to be a very good friend who has a baby and that becomes a baby gift. Wonderful. Um, hey, Maya and Glenn, yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I also want to say Thank you to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Dan.